And so there's some things that I want to share this morning and really just kind of just kind of go into that area a little bit, hoping and praying that it will help you in your Monday through Saturday. And there are those cringe moments where you feel like, oh my God, I can't believe I just said that to one of my kids. I can't believe I just did that. I can't believe, oh my gosh. But I can deal with that because I understand we all have issues. I have issues, you have issues. What, what gets me? I don't know what it is for you, but I know what it is for me. This morning, I want to talk about something for just a few moments, something that I think has a stranglehold on a lot of people, something that in my own life at times has had a stranglehold on me, and I'm not sure exactly where it is for you, but I know where it is for me. And what I do, a lot of my life is lived in front of people. It just comes with what I do. And sometimes, occasionally, you run into people who don't have the best of intentions. And over the years in pastoring, there have been people that, you know, come to church and people that go to church and one of the things I've noticed is that um, people who leave churches leave churches. I don't know if you know that. When somebody comes and says, oh, my gosh, man, I, I was going to so-and-so church, and I had a problem with this, this, and this. I'm thinking, give it a minute. You'll have a problem with us, too. It won't take long. But I can deal with that because I understand we all have issues. I have issues. You have issues. What, what gets me is when people do that, and then they say things that are not true about the church, or especially, especially what gets me is when people say certain things about people in my family. And I have to be honest, when that happens, I, I, I mean, I want to go Texas real quick and take care of it, but I don't feel like starting a prison ministry. I don't think I'm called to that. I have a hard time forgiving when it comes to my family, when, when it comes to the church that I love so deeply, and by the way, you do remember and know, and if you're not a Christ follower and the Bible is not something that you read on a regular basis, one of the things that's fascinating to me is that God says the church is not a, not a building, it's people, it's us, it's you and me. And when people say things negatively, not just about our church, but about any church, man, I got a problem with that. And so if you are new to C3 and maybe you're a Christ follower and you're looking for a church and it's because you weren't happy where you are, please don't tell me anything negative about the church you came from. I don't want to hear it. Because what I know, and you may have some valid issues. You, I mean, a lot of things have been done in the name of church and a lot of pastors have done some jacked up stuff. Like I get, it may be valid, but what I understand is none of us are perfect. This church is not perfect. I'm certainly not perfect, but our savior is perfect. And he's the one we should be looking to. But when people talk about the church or my family, I have a hard time forgiving. I have to work through that. And as a pastor, I understand it. It comes with it as it should be. So much of what I do, people have opinions about. From the kind of shirts that I wear <laughs> to the way that I wear my hair. 
I, I mean, I get it. I get it. I get it. And for a long time in my life, a few years ago, and this took me years, some people very close to me betrayed me, said things that were not true, and they knew they weren't true. And it put me in a place where I, I didn't want to trust anybody. I almost felt like I felt like I couldn't trust anybody. I don't know if you've ever been there. But the root issue was forgiveness. And so I don't know what it is for you. That, that, that thing or that person that you're having a hard time forgiving, that, that area of life where maybe you're having a hard time trusting again. I don't know what it is for you, but this morning I, I, I want to look at another chronicle of the king, another parable that Jesus taught where he talks about this idea of forgiveness. And I want to drill down a little bit there because I'm hoping that it helps you as much as it has helped me. Because when you live a life where you don't forgive people, it hurts you, not them. But I think one of the reasons we struggle with forgiveness is I think we've confused what it actually is. And so there's some things that I want to share this morning and really just kind of just kind of go into that area a little bit, hoping and praying that it will help you in your Monday through Saturday, not just your Sunday. Forgiving is to the soul what breathing is to the body. It is absolutely essential if you want to be a healthy individual, not just spiritually, but emotionally, if you want to have healthy relationships. Forgiving is something that has to become a part of who you are, and it is to the soul what breathing is to the body. To set the stage of what Jesus was talking about, there had been a conversation with the disciples, and there was a need, and they felt like they couldn't do what Jesus was asking, and so they were saying, man, Lord, could you just, could you just give us more faith? We need more faith. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. God, I... I want to believe, I just don't feel like I can. God, give me more faith. I need more faith. And Jesus, in a very loving way, but a very clear way, says that the problem is not a lack of faith. The problem is a lack of obedience. Because when you and I, as followers of Jesus, obey, our faith tends to grow because it's, it's through our obedience that we see God keep his promises. And so our faith is often strengthened. And, and so in that context... The context of it, faith is not what you need more of. Obedience is what you need more of. And I, I think we go to this place because if I need more faith, that's something God's got to do. If I need to be more obedient, that's something I've got to do. So lazy spirituality says, I'm going to wait for God to do something instead of doing what I need to do. It's in that context that Jesus goes into this subject of forgiveness. Peter has a conversation. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times... Give, Give me a number. I want to make sure I'm doing this right. I, I need to be specific. I don't want it to be something that's ethereal. I don't want it to be just kind of a, a feeling. How many times, what's the number, shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times, and he's speaking literally about a particular day. If somebody does something over and over again in the same 24-hour period, seven times, is that good? Now, where did he come up with the number seven? The rabbis in that culture taught that if someone 
harmed you in the same day or betrayed you or hurt you, if, if forgiveness was needed, you were to forgive four times. Four was the number. So Peter's going above and beyond thinking, okay, you're Jesus, you're all about grace and mercy, so let's make this bigger. What, what about seven? So in a culture where four times is what the religious leaders said, seven should be a pretty solid guess. That, that should get maybe some applause from Jesus. Seven is more than four. But Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, now, <laughs> if you do something wrong to me, 77 times in one day, I need to choose better friends. But, but Jesus is saying, no, it, it's not seven, it's 77. What is he talking about? And then he goes into a parable. Now, if you've been with us, you know that parables are made-up stories. They're fictitious, made-up stories that always teach a universal spiritual truth. There's always some truth Jesus is trying to teach. And so this, again, is a, a parable where he tells a story, but there's, there's significant truth in this story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Now, 10,000 bags of gold, to translate that, this guy owed a lot a bag of gold in that culture usually weighed about 75 pounds. Based on the cost of gold today, one bag would be almost $1.7 million. He owes $1.7 million times 10,000. I don't even know what the number is. I don't even know how to do that math. I tried on my phone. It said error. <laughs> one point, it's technically 1,680,000. Almost 1.7 million times 10,000. Why would Jesus pick something like that? It's a debt that is so insurmountable, it is impossible to pay. Because he's telling a story, and so in that story, he could have picked any number. So he picks a number so vast, so big, so large, it's hopeless. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had had to be sold to repay the debt. Back in that day, there were no collection agencies. They just sold your stuff and they sold you. And they sold your spouse and they sold your kids. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. That's a bold statement. The servant's master took pity on him and didn't just say, okay, I'll let you do that. He canceled the debt and let him go. Now, how would you feel if you owed $1.7 million times 10000 and they could take everything you have and sell you and your spouse and your kids into hard labor? I mean, the prisons in that day, were not, they weren't like today. There was no TV room. There was no satellite cable TV in prison. There was no workout room. There was no rec facility. There were no basketball courts. The last place you wanted to go. In fact, often in the culture, when they would teach about or talk about hell, they would talk about prison in that day because it so resembled you'd rather die than go there. How would you feel if that was you and the king said, forget it. It's taken care of. It's canceled. You owe me nothing. 
But when that servant went out, Jesus still telling the same story. When that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. A hundred silver coins in that day was about three to four months salary. It's a lot, but it's not 1.68 million times 10,000. One of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Same phrase. But he refused. Isn't it interesting? We want everybody to be patient with us while we are patient with no one. I I want the best for me from you but I don't want the best for you from me. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant. He didn't call him greedy. He didn't call him selfish. He didn't say you lack compassion. He called him wicked. Because according to the scriptures, to treat someone without grace, without forgiveness. As a follower of Christ, if you and I have been forgiven, to not forgive someone else is to be wicked. In fact, this act is the most evil thing we could do. So Jesus telling the story uses the word wicked. He said, if I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to, shouldn't you have had mercy? Now, I know you want mercy. I want mercy. But I think part of what Jesus is getting to in this text is, yes, we want mercy, but how much do we give mercy? Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And then there's this verse in Scripture. I didn't write this. Jesus speaking 2,000 years ago. If you want an indication of how God feels about this whole issue, notice this next verse. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So God says, I'll forgive you. Remember last Sunday, we looked at what's been called the Lord's Prayer. It's found in Matthew, shorter version found in Luke. And it's interesting when Jesus modeled how to pray, it's a template on how to pray. It's, it's not pray these exact words. It's not something that we recite verbatim. It's a template of here's how you pray. Here's the things that you need to cover in your own words, the categories. It's interesting when it comes to forgiveness in the Lord's prayer, Jesus said, when you pray, Lord, forgive us as we forgive others. Jesus said, you should pray in a way that when you ask for forgiveness, you say, God, please forgive me the way I forgive other people. So apparently, this idea of forgiveness is huge to our God. Apparently, he is more than willing to forgive you and forgive me. A a, a vast debt. Listen, my sin, your sin, we could never pay. 
in a thousand lifetimes. We, we, we could never overcome the sin in our own lives. That's why Jesus had to come and die. Apparently, he is so willing to forgive that, but there is this expectation on the part of God that has significant and severe consequences if we don't forgive others. This, Jesus says, is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. What does that mean? I think part of the reason we struggle with forgiving is because I don't think we accurately fully understand what it is. So first, let me talk about what forgiving is not. Forgiving is not forgetting. I've met people that say, man, I I thought I'd forgiven, but then I had that memory. It, It came back up and all those feelings came back up. I don't know if this ever happens to you. There are certain places where I've had some difficult meetings with difficult people. And every now and then... I'll be driving down the road and drive by the restaurant where maybe we met, and I I have drive-by. I see the restaurant. I remember the meeting. I remember what was said. I think of all the things I wish I had said, and all those feelings come up. And, And if you're not careful, it can be a little unsettling, like, my gosh, I thought I dealt with this. How long ago was that? What? What is this? I thought I forgave them. Forgiving is not forgetting. You will not attain some spiritual place where all of a sudden you, you reach a level of utopia that, that what you've forgiven is just, just gone. You, know, you don't remember. That's not going to happen. And I think we sort of feel guilty about that sometimes because we think God has amnesia because we read these verses about, well, God, God forgets. No, the Bible says God removes it as far as the east is from the West to remember it no more. It's a deliberate choice on the part of God not to remember, but it's not that it doesn't exist or that he's forgotten. He makes a choice not to remember. So forgiving is not forgetting. You can forgive somebody and still remember what they did, what they said, how they acted, the harm that was created. Forgiving is also not removing all the consequences. When you forgive someone, I I think part of the reason we struggle is, I don't want to forgive them because then that means they just get off. That that means there's nothing that's going to happen. If I forgive them and God's a God of love and he loves everybody, it, it means they just get away with it. Aren't they kind of getting away with it now? The only difference is right now they're renting space for free between your ears. Forgiving is not removing all the consequences, though. King David had sinned. He lied. He committed adultery. He was deceptive. The woman he committed adultery with, he had her husband murdered. I mean, he's racking up the sin debt. And Nathan is a prophet, and Nathan comes to David. And he confronts David with what's happened. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, we read that David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. So he acknowledges it. He's confessing it. He's coming clean. And Nathan replied, the Lord has taken Away your sin. You are not going to die, but because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. Forgiving is not removing all the consequences. If you have a problem with alcohol and you become an alcoholic and you drink for years and years and years and finally through coming to Christ, going to rehab, getting some things together in your life, you get to the place where you're sober and you're clean the damage done to your liver is the damage done to your liver. You, you don't get a new liver because you pray, Jesus, please forgive me. 
If you have a record of DUIs, that doesn't just get erased and go away because you give your life to Jesus. And if you're someone who who needs to be forgiven, if you've hurt somebody, if you've betrayed somebody, don't, don't say to the person who needs to forgive you and is trying to forgive you, I thought you forgave me. Why are you bringing that back up? You have no right to say that. When you and I mess up, we don't get to choose how the consequences are played out. And yes, God offers forgiveness, but the consequences are still there. You don't study all year long, and then in May, right before finals, you want to study, and hopefully they'll pass you, and, and you give your life to Jesus. You get baptized three times. You, you, you start tithing. You start inviting your neighbors. Hey, what you earned over the year of doing absolutely nothing is going to pay off. Consequences will not be removed. Forgiveness is not the removing of all the consequences. That's part of the reason that your sin and my sin is such a big deal to God. He knows he can forgive us. Jesus already died for us. That's done. But he hurts because of what you have to walk through and what I have to walk through because of often the stupidity or short-sightedness of our own choices. It's the consequences, the fallout, the after effects that that harm us and that we have to live through and walk through. It's that pain that I believe causes pain in the heart of God. And part of the reason he says, hey, 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 this is how you should live to avoid that as much as possible. Forgiveness is not removing all the consequences. And forgiveness, please hear me, please, please. Forgiveness is not trusting again. Forgiveness is not trusting again. You can forgive and not trust that person. Proverbs, the book of wisdom says, the simple believe anything, but the prudent give thought to their steps. There's some people you may need to forgive that you might never have the opportunity to trust again because trust is something that is earned. Forgiveness is given. Trust is earned. Forgiveness does not mean you say to somebody, okay, I forgive you. Now, why don't you come back into my life and run back over me? I think there's some spots you missed. No, God gave you a brain. He gave you common sense. And it's not that you hold a grudge. It's not that you get bitter or angry or every time, listen, every time that person's name comes up, it doesn't need to bring that up inside you. You you need to get to the place where you're step-by-step moving beyond that. And that takes some time. You can forgive. It doesn't mean that you trust. Well, but I forgave him and I, I told him, we're good, we're good, we're good. Hey, you know a lot of people that you're good with. Do you trust all of them? A lot of people that you're good with, would you let them watch your kids for two weeks? We're good doesn't mean I trust you. It just means I'm not going to hold this against you anymore. So forgiveness doesn't mean the relationship is reconciled, the relationship is restored. That would be impossible because for some of you, the person that you need to forgive is dead. There's no ability to restore the relationship. My bride was harmed in significant ways by her father, who happened to be a pastor. And she has forgiven him. 
but there has been no relationship since 2011. And there won't be. Not out of bitterness, not out of anger, not out of hatefulness, out of love. Because while she has forgiven, she will not allow her children or her grandchildren to be put in a position. And if there's not repentance on the part of the other person, and there's denial, and there's lies, and there's slander, trust doesn't have to be restored. But you don't have to live in the bondage of it either. So if that's what forgiving is not, what, what is forgiving? Forgiving is refusing to seek my own revenge. Forgiving is refusing to seek my own revenge. Now that's hard for us. We want revenge. Angie and I just got back yesterday from, from Tennessee. And as we're driving back, um, on the highway, there are some people in vehicles who, who are idiots. And that's much nicer than what I'm really thinking. And sometimes on the highway, they, they, you're driving, and every now and then, I'm accidentally an idiot. And so we're driving along, and I even, I even put on my blinker. But I'm one of those guys I put on my blinker not to check and make sure it's clear, but to let you know I'm coming. <laughs> and there happened to be this car right there. And he honked, and he laid on his horn. And I pulled back over. It was my fault. But as he drove by... I think he yelled something that had to do with my ancestry. And he called, he called me number one, but he used the wrong finger. I I don't think he understood. Now, when that happened, even though I'd been wrong, I thought, oh, no, 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 no. You don't act like that. I drive something much bigger than what you drive. I need to help you. I need to help you understand that is not appropriate. You should be forgiving. You you should let it slide. You don't drive perfectly every time. So let me help you. And I'm not going to tell you what I did because it's none of your business. But (laughs) when it comes to this, have you ever noticed how when we seek revenge, it's never on a level playing field. We always want to go a step further to teach them a lesson. We don't just take it where it was. We're going to go a little bit beyond because you, you really need to learn from this. Even if I was wrong in the beginning, your reaction, it was a little much, so let me help you. And that creates an unending cycle. Who wins in that? First Peter says, to this you were called, speaking of followers of Christ. Now, if you're not a Christ follower, you don't have to do this. You're off the hook. If you are a follower of Jesus, that implies and means that as a follower of Jesus, you follow the teachings of Jesus. If you don't follow the teachings of Jesus, are you following Jesus? So for a follower of Jesus, this is not optional. Optional. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. So what do I do? Because there are people you need to forgive. There are people I need to forgive. And the scale is pretty large. There are people I have to forgive that are mildly annoying. And then there are people over here that I have to forgive that what they've done is significant. And I would be just fine doing their funeral. It's a gift. I'm licensed to do it. I can do funerals. So in that spectrum, how, how do we deal with that? If we're, if we're not supposed to seek our own revenge, what do we do? 
Do we just let it go? Is it just over? Like, do people get away with stuff? Hear me. It's okay to seek justice. It's not okay to seek my own revenge. It's okay to seek justice. See, I'm not supposed to pursue my own revenge, but I don't know if you've ever read the book of Psalms, the largest book in your Bible, 150 chapters. If you open it in the middle, you're probably going to land in Psalms. Many of the Psalms from King David, you know what they were? Hey, God, I'm not going to go after these people, but will you please sick them? Will you please get them? Will you please annihilate them? Will you please take them out? God, will you do what only you can do in a bigger and badder way than I could ever do it? God, would you please bring insurmountable pain to their lives? And it's okay to pray like that. It's in the Bible. It's okay to go to God and say, God, I don't want to let this go, but I'm going to try to let this go. But God, would you please handle it and handle them? That's okay. Listen, listen, listen. You're feeling it anyway. Why not be honest with God? Because when I talk to God about it, there's also an understanding of God, you're going to bring justice. And so if justice looks different than what I think it should look like, I'm going to be okay with that because you're God and I'm not. But before you pray for God to bring justice, you, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. It's okay. It's in the book of Psalms over and over again. But before you do it, just ask yourself how many people do you want praying that God would bring justice to you? Do you want people to pray for you for justice or mercy? There's some things that deserve justice. Someone that harms a child. God, would you bring justice? Someone, there, there's certain lines you can cross where God, would you please take care of this person? Would you please take care of that person? And I've, I've actually prayed those prayers. And one of the things I've discovered is, honestly, God rarely does it as fast as I want him to. But I have seen him do it in a much bigger way than I ever could. If you're walking through the grocery store and a little three-year-old kid walks up to you and kicks you in the shin, do you pick that child up and pop him in the face? You might want to. Listen, when I go to Publix, when I go to Publix, I promise you, sweet Jesus, I promise you, there are some kids I see that I think I should go up and offer the parents. I, I can help you. I know how to fix your kid. Let him come with me for two days. I can fix your kid. But I don't do that because Angie tells me I can't. But if you're in the grocery store and a three-year-old kid kicks you in the shit, you don't pick him up and hit him. You're going to prison. Plus, that, that's not nice. What, what do you do? It's a three-year-old kid, you consider the context and consider the source and you let it go. The bigger and more secure you are, the more stuff bounces off of you. Sometimes you and I just need to be bigger because there's some things we need to forgive that you just, listen, 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 you just need to stop it. You're way too easily offended. You're acting like a toddler throwing a fit about everything. In our culture, it's all the rage to be outraged about everything. Stop it. Act like a grown-up. Don't be such a small person. The things that you can let go, let them go. You don't have to deal with every toddler that kicks you in the shin. So forgiving is refusing to seek my own revenge. Forgiving is also refusing to be consumed by the past. 
I know people who are living so much in the past, they're not present for anything. And moms and dads, please hear me. You are missing the years of investing in your kids and helping your kids and showing them what it looks like to get over things because you're so stuck in what happened to you, you're not even really parenting. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus says, get rid of all. How much? Let's say it together. Get rid of all. You know what all means in the Greek? All. That's exactly what it means. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander. Stop talking about them. Stop talking about them. Stop talking about them. When you talk to people about people, it does absolutely no good. You should be talking to God about them and let him handle it. Stop talking about them. Along with every form of malice, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ and God forgave you. Don't be consumed with the past. It won't let you go until you let it go. Now, you may have to let it go 10 times a day, but just like breathing. Do you, do you go through the day thinking, I need to breathe. I better breathe. I'm going to die if I don't breathe. You just do it without thinking. Forgiveness about a particular situation will become like that over time when you're intentional about forgiving every time it comes up. When you relive, forgive. When you relive, forgive. And eventually, it will become like breathing. And occasionally, your breathing will get interrupted. You'll have respiratory failure. You'll have drive-by. But you start forgiving again. And over time, when you're intentional, it will become easier. Forgiveness is refusing to seek my own revenge. Forgiving, forgiving is refusing to be consumed by the past. And forgiving is giving to others what God has given to me. Have you ever thought about this? Colossians chapter 3. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Do you do that? Why is it that it's so easy for us to remember what everybody's done to us, but so hard for us to remember what we've done to others? Our list and our record is crystal clear, but our mirror is very, very foggy. So what does this look like tomorrow? Okay, I want to do this. I know I need to do this because when I don't forgive someone, that's like drinking poison and expecting them to die. So how do I do this practically speaking? And for some of you, for some of you, what happened to you, the level of betrayal, harm, and hurt was so large and so intense, you might need to talk to somebody that's a Christ follower but also a professional. And if you're like, man, I need to talk to somebody about this, contact us. We can connect you with Christian counselors who know the Bible, who love Jesus, but they're not going to say, hey, just go memorize a verse. They're going to bring the expertise of the mind and psychology along with a biblical foundation and what Christ has to say about things, and you'll get the best help. It's not a weak person who seeks that kind of help. It's a very strong and courageous person. But what do I do apart from that on my Monday through Saturday when I'm not sitting in church thinking, ha, I need to? What do I do? Very quickly. Ask God to change my want to. Have you ever needed to forgive somebody you didn't want to forgive? It happens to me often. And so what I have to do is say, okay, God, you know I don't want to forgive this person at all. I'm asking you, 
Not that I have to give you permission. You're God. I'm inviting you in my life to change my want to. To, to, to do something inside me, transform me from the inside out. This is going to take you, God. I don't have what it takes. I don't even want to. I'm asking you to change my want to. Number two, stop keeping score. Stop it. It's a very small person that keeps a list of everything everybody did wrong. Stop it. Do you want your kids one day, parents, to keep a list of all the ways you messed up? Listen. It's, it's a kick in the pants being a parent because we're not perfect. And there are those cringe moments where you feel like, oh, my God, I can't believe I just said that to one of my kids. I can't believe I just did that. I can't believe, oh, my gosh, I hope they forget that. Maybe, maybe I should let them drink. Maybe they'll forget it. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> but it's amazing when your kids become parents, how they understand, wow. The pressure. I think the world would be a happier place. I know we would have happier marriages and our our homes would be much more in harmony if we just stop keeping score. The Bible says, let love cover it. Let love cover it. Ask God to change my want to stop keeping score and get a good mirror. Spend more time thinking about the person you see in the mirror every day and what that person needs to do and how much that person's been forgiven. And what happens is the more you think about you, the more I think about me and what God has forgiven me of, I'm much more grateful for grace and mercy and much more in a position to extend it to others when I recognize how much I've actually been forgiven. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hold on to three or four months wages against you when I've been forgiven 1.68 million, 10,000 times and counting. See, sometimes we just need to pause and get out of the victim mode where everybody's done something wrong to you and look in the dang mirror and accept responsibility for what you've done for you and recognize what God has forgiven you. Now you don't have to. You don't have to. You can keep doing what you're doing, and even the people who love you won't like you. But if you want to make a difference, if you want to be missed one day, if you want to have a great marriage, if you want your kids to honor you and think you're an amazing parent, if you want to have friendships where in the circle of friends, you're the one that everybody thought, wow, I want to be like him, I want to be like her, you'll do this. And it'll change you. And it'll breathe life into the people around you. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, again, I thank you for every single person in this room today. And God, you know my heart. I'm not trying to minimize the pain in any way that so many in this room have walked through. But we can't go back in time. And we can't change what's happened. But you can help us change our future. So I pray that we would become more forgiving. I pray we would would rely on you to transform us from the inside out. And God, I pray we would take what we talked about today and throughout this week as things come up or memories pop in our minds or we face challenges or we deal with difficult people where there are issues from the past. God, I pray you'd help us to remember what we talked about today. We'd apply the truth so we can live in the freedom of your grace and mercy, extending your grace and mercy. And we would leave justice to you. 
with heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you think, man, there's no way I could do that. Because you also recognize that you've not yet been forgiven. You've never committed your life to Christ. See, what we talked about today, I can't do in and of myself. You can't do in and of yourself. It takes the Spirit of God. And that's, that's one of the incredible benefits of committing your life to Christ is that when you do that, when I do that, His Spirit comes to live inside us and He, he helps us grow in these areas beyond what we can do on our own. It's impossible for you to have the life you're chasing without knowing Jesus in a personal way. It's impossible for you to be the husband, the dad, the wife, the mom, the parent, the child, the sibling, the friend, the employer, the employee, the coach, the teammate. It's impossible for you to be all you want to be without a relationship with Christ because you're broken and I'm broken and we can't. So this morning, if you'd like to commit your life to Christ, I want to invite you to pray a very simple prayer. You can pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. If you'd like to commit your life to Christ, just say, Dear God, I know that I need you. Please come into my life. Forgive me of my sin and help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. 